All right, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner at some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined once again by Richie Von Sexington. How's things, Richie? All good. Glorious sunshine, as opposed to being snowed in the other week. Uh, Looking forward to dissecting these shows. The sun is shining in England because Manchester City are about to be crowned champions of England. Yeah, I don't think that's in doubt now. <laughs> Thankfully not. So when you're listening to this, you've got a very happy host at the moment, um, which was a little bit different to the one watching some of the shows we've got a review here. So for those of you not in the know, we're on the Raw and Nitro timeline of 1996. Richie's come in and joined me for an episode here. But Nitro's preempted and they're having a week off. So what are we to do? Whenever this normally happens, I generally try and go and check out an episode of ECW that lines up. And if you've been listening to the show all the way through, you'll know that I've not had much luck finding a decent episode of ECW so far. And spoiler alert, not much has changed in 96. So we're watching Raw from April 8 up against ECW Hardcore TV from April 9. Um, and yeah, it's a bit of a tough slog. So thanks for being a trooper, Rich, and joining me on this one. You're in so much trouble with my wife. You do not understand. <laughs> she... And we turned off. We were watching Jessica Jones last night. And I'm like, I've got to do my own work. She goes, all right, then. We'll do it now. Uh, I, 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 I've never known 45 minutes take so long. It's, uh, well, we'll get to it. Yeah, so um, Raw here, though, uh, before we do it, a little, the little recap, um, coming from the Orange Pavilion in San Bernardino, California, goes un- unopposed for the night and draws a whopping 4.7 buy rate, um, sorry, uh, TV rating for the week. So obviously going against nobody and bringing in some of that Nitro crowd worked wonders for them. ECW, I can't find any ratings for, and they are coming from the um, ECW Arena in, in Philadelphia, which, you know, I... Being someone who liked later ECW um, before it was closing doors and listening to all the different people shit all over the bingo hall, I'd never really watched a lot of the shows that were in there. I watched a lot of the pay-per-views that I could get on DVD that were in better arenas, and yeah, it's a bit of a shithole, really, isn't it? It's an absolute fucking dump. <laughs> Don't hold back. <laughs> You know what? I, 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 my her formative teenage years were the nineties. I didn't realize it was so fucking bleak. <laughs> On that note, which show did you watch first? Uh, I watched Raw, which was the wrong way to do it. I watched Raw first as well, so let's go over and check out what Monday Night Raw's got to offer, and hope it's slightly better than what ECW had to offer. Fucking constipation would be better than what ECW have offered. This job is important. Don't disappoint me. I don't want your money. This one's personal.
Lorenzo? No. I don't want that. The World Wrestling Federation. Our athletes still care about their fans. We start the match. I'll start the match with Blair. We start the show with Yokozuna and Vader. So the show starts with Yokozuna's entrance before any video or anything. And the commentary team is Vince McMahon and Mr. Perfect. So a little switch up of roles here with Jerry Lawler featuring in the main event later on. Um, what do you think about Mr. Perfect as a commentator? He's not bad, but he has that kind of habit of a wrestler commentating where they kind of put themselves over a little bit too much. But overall, he's, he's not bad. Lola doesn't do it particularly, but I find sometimes Mr. Perfect isn't... He's, he's, he's kind of thinking, what, what would Mr. Perfect do in this situation? If that makes sense. Yeah, perfect sense. I think um, he and DiBiase both tried their hand at commentary in this period and both were sort of better promos than they were commentators. So it's, it's definitely a thing. I, I agree there. Um, and yeah, so it's a bit weird that they're putting this match, Yokozuna and Vader, which was supposed to be in the original plans, the big marquee WrestleMania match before they changed to the six-man, and they're putting this onto open Raw unopposed. So, I mean, the storyline that we see end, it tells you why they're doing it, but I would have thought they could have saved this for an in-your-house pay-per-view as an attraction and then just, just done the exact same match, but it's not to be. Um, I think part of the reason for that, because Vince is on the, uh, on the commentary, he's like, oh, uh, we've uh, agreed with the network to start three minutes earlier. So I guess what he's doing is, because uh, Nitro's not on and people are turning over, he's put a massive match on three minutes earlier than Nitro would normally start. So hopefully next week, everyone's like, oh, hold on, the Raw starts earlier. And they started with a massive match last week. So we'll we'll, we'll watch that, not the start of Nitro. Uh, was the only reason I could think why you would give this away. You're half right there. So going back and doing my research on this show, um, they were the, the idea was to start three minutes earlier to gain the viewers, but that was the idea Nitro actually started with and had been doing this for a little while and getting the, the lead in on Raw. So this was Vince's agreement to finally hit back and also start three minutes earlier. So the two shows are, are definitely going head-to-head here trying to, to get the lead in on the other one and definitely you can see this is a period where ratings start to matter and they're really up against it head-to-head now. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. So... This is, um, before the match actually starts, I noticed a sign in the crowd that says, bring back Jameson, and I just have to put in there, fuck right off. I never want to see Jameson appear on wrestling television ever again. If you've seen the 92 Rumble, you'll understand why. If you haven't, go and watch that abomination of a Beverly Brothers Bushwhackers match, and yeah, tell me you want him brought back then. You know what? Luckily, I don't think I've been exposed, but I'm sure it's coming at some point. Yeah, when we wrap up, just YouTube Jameson WWF and you'll get why within a, about a minute of watching. I, I, uh, I'm not sure if I want that in my search engine, to be honest. <laughs> the match starts with shoves and slaps from both men and Mr. Fuji looks like an absolute fucking sellout on the outside waving an American flag. Where's my evil foreign Fuji gone? I hate this boring bullshit version of Fuji. Yeah, what's this all about? Where's the salt in there? And the uh, stereotypical suit. I, I, I don't want this. This man with a with a flag. <laughs> and a really impressive high spot early doors. Yoko Zuna with a Samoan drop on Vader, and not like a a rock loosely grab your leg as you throw yourself over my shoulder Samoan drop. This was a full on get that beast on your shoulders and drop backwards. It was fucking awesome. 
Yeah, it, it, looking on paper, on paper, when you see these things, you're not expecting that. And uh, I thought, I thought that was like, yep, this this is a good good start, good good nice some Samoan drop as well. I mean, sometimes like you say, sometimes it doesn't look like it would hurt. This one looked like, yeah, that's a proper move. And Vader either got hurt or sold his ribs really well from then on, so that was cool. Um, Vince tells them on commentary that we talked about earlier, they're going to be starting early every week as Vader begins to beat the shit out of Yoko in the corner. Yoko fights back with a rock bottom and a big leg drop, um, and then he begins to sort of turn the tide and beat the shit out of Vader in the corner for a while. He does, however, miss an avalanche, and this allows Vader to go up for the Vader bomb. Before he does, Cornette grabs a hold of Yokozuna's leg, and Vader targets it, coming off onto the leg with a Vader bomb as Yokozuna screams and the referee calls for the bell. Vader, however, if you've been watching him so far in his WWF run, he's having none of it. He goes back up and hits him with yet another Vader bomb. Um, and the announcement officially is that Vader wins by virtue of having injured Yokozuna, so the match has stopped. Officials come out and they send for a stretcher while Vader walks down the aisle and looks at Yoko being helped on the early version of the Titan Tron there that they walk through, which was a really good camera shot. I thought the production was really top-notch there, catching Vader admiring his handiwork on the big screen on his way out. They get knocked uh, a lot, I think, Kevin Dunn. For, for the way they do things. But uh, at times, he just picks the perfect shot. Yep, and then we go to a commercial break. And when we come back, I mean, it was pretty obvious Yoko wasn't going to be carried out on the stretcher, but the um, absolute hu- humiliation of Yoko He's taken out on a forklift. So if you're not familiar with your WWF history, the reason why I say this is humiliation is because Yoko is doing this injured angle to be sent off to fat camp. So what better way to drive home the point than to remove him on a forklift from the ring? Yeah, I I pretty much thought that was a rib. I also noticed it was uh, Tim White was the referee, which reminded me of the Tim White lunchtime suicide skits they used to do, which they considered funny. Now, I'm not entirely convinced that uh, that it was in good taste, but uh, yeah, I was I was I was uh, thinking another time when you just hope nobody knows you like wrestling. The Tim White suicide lunchtime or whatever it was. What what a bag of bollocks! Ladies and gentlemen, I'm trying to get a word with Tim White. Tim, although we're very happy to see you survived another near fatal occurrence, myself and many others are very concerned that you may try to do something like this again. Mr. White, on behalf of the entire WWE family, Mr. White, what are you, Mr. White, listen, I got a letter. I got a letter right here from a, from a WWE fan, a big fan of yours. This is from Casey in New Jersey. Casey says, Dear Josh, I'm writing this letter in hopes that you will get it to Mr. White. Please let Mr. White know that I'm a huge fan of his, and I could not bear it if he were to hurt himself again. We all love you, Tim. Hang in there. Mr. White. The pre-Chris Benoit tragedy world of wrestling was a scary place. I just, I, I don't, I don't it, it was so out of place. I just don't understand why they went, yep, yep. What we're going to do is we're going to have this guy to pretend to kill himself for week on week and put it on the website. And <laughs> didn't they send Josh Matthews to host it as well? Like, it's just bad all around. Yeah, yeah, so you've got to put with that little prick. We then get a um, Vince McMahon introduction of the returning to Monday Night Raw 
Ultimate Warrior, who comes out to a really big pop that, after a little while of his entrance, makes me question whether or not it's been sweetened because it's an ongoing sort of dull roar of a pop that doesn't match up with what I'm seeing in the crowd. So, um, yeah, it was just a, it was like very generic crowd sound of a pop that just didn't seem to go away. There was no chanting or raising and lowering of the level. So I was definitely sus- suspect on this one. Yeah, I know what you say. It's that, uh, it sounds like Seagull's effect. Yeah. Um, Vince McMahon asks him where he's been, and in many, many words, as only the warrior can do, he basically tells us he's been in his own mind. Um, he begins rambling as Goldust and Marlena come out. We sort of slip the info that they'll be taking each other on at the next pay-per-view. They don't announce it. They just say on, I don't know, April 20th or whatever the date is. Um, Ultimate Warrior calls Goldust a freak, um, which is a little bit harsh, and then he comes out with... Whatever you're into, I don't give a shit. So hearing the Warrior on Raw, and this is something I don't think I'd ever heard in the WWF, someone say shit, and the Warrior drops it towards Goldust, which is very, very surreal. Um, and he basically then just clotheslines Goldust out of the ring to end the segment. So what did you think about this? Given the Warrior's stance on these things, as has been uh, documented in YouTube videos and such things, I was very worried where the Warrior was going to go with this promo given that the man is absolutely a lunatic. Uh, and I can't think of anywhere scarier to spend three years than in the warrior's mind. <laughs> That's definitely parts unknown. Uh, the biggest thing watching this for me, right, is... Uh, this is going to sound ridiculous, but I honestly... Part of my mind swore the warrior was going to tell Goldust queering doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. I was really... I thought this is, this is dangerous, because... Warrior's stance, which obviously we all have forgotten what he's done in the past because he's now on the uh, good side of things. So we have the Warrior uh, Award and all that jazz because, hey, when you're in the good books, you're really in the good books. But uh, no, it was, it was, I was just praying to get to the end of it and not feel like uh, uh, the Warrior had done something so horrific that I couldn't watch the rest of the show. No, thankfully, he pretty much just took a little bit of swearing, and that was fine, so we're okay with that. Uh, We then go backstage where Vader attacks Yokozuna on the forklift with a chair to the leg, so really driving home the point that Yoko is being fucked off for a while here. We're not going to see him for a little bit. And then we go to our next matchup, the real marquee sort of main event anywhere in the country match here. Triple H taking on Duke the Dumpster Drosy, who is still around in April of 1996. What the actual fuck is going on? He's got to be one of the last wrestling with jobs characters, surely. TL Hoppers must have gone and Repo Man and the Mountie. But we've still got a bit, man. Yeah, it's got to be him or Isaac Yankum that's the last one to take the cut, I would think. I'm not sure which. Yeah, good point. I forgot old Isaac. So the match actually starts with uh, the dumpster hitting a backdrop and a slam and clotheslining Triple H out. They brawl along the outside for a little bit uh, before we get a press slam in the ring. Uh, We're told that their match on the free-for-all at WrestleMania was the highest-rated segment ever on the preview channel, so a lot of people tuned into the preview channel to see that one, which is pretty cool, though. Um, We get an inset promo from Marvelous Mark Miro, who just basically says that he's going to feel the... um, 
this is a, this is a, say, no, not marvelous Mark Miro. So from um, Wild Man Mark Miro, who says he's going to feel the wildness or some shit next week. It's pretty short and straight to the point, really. Um, Triple H hits an axe handle for a two before we go to an ad break. We come back and the dumpster hits a slingshot, an inverted atomic drop, and a regular atomic drop before hitting a spine buster. He then hits a power slam and doesn't go for the pin, strangely enough. Goes to set Triple H for the trash compactor, but Triple H reverses it and hits a pedigree for the one, two, three. In, I have to say, this was probably a match that far exceeded the very low expectations I had. I was surprised that Triple H didn't get more offense, but overall, it was pretty decent, other than um, during the dumpster's final sort of fire up there. He trying to scream to the crowd, it's time to take out the trash and not having the breath to get all of that out at the top of his lungs. But overall, pretty decent. Yeah, yeah decent match. Good TV match. Given at this time you you could get a roar with pretty much nothing on it. It was good. I, I don't think Duke was too bad. I hate the, uh, I've just done a move, but I've got to do my finisher. Because... The, the whole point is you're supposed to win. So if you can win without using your finisher, that is acceptable. Well, you know, it was all right. It's, it's always fun to see Triple H at this point doing the fawning fop with the curtsy and the music and, and realise that in a year and a bit, he's Triple H. He's not far away from becoming try. No, no, it's... Uh, it's it, it's good. I, I, he's, he he hasn't he doesn't change his wrestling style, but uh, yeah, uh, he's, he's definitely not as jacked as he becomes. No, decent, de- definitely decent enough. And you're right for TV, it was good. Um, we then go to something that even on TV is not going to be good. It's a British Bulldog up against Ahmed Johnson in an arm wrestling match. I always find these segments so tedious. Like, I actually genuinely don't give a shit. Whether, even if it was a shoot, I don't give a shit who can out arm wrestle the other. It means absolutely nothing. I mean, in all the macho things men do to one-up each other, arm wrestling is one of the ones I've never gotten. Like, you might have a stronger right arm than I've got, but really, if it came down to it and we were in genuine combat, I probably wouldn't try and arm wrestle you anyway. I mean, you grab my arm there, I'd probably just nut you on or something. Like, it just, it means absolutely nothing no matter who does it. Now, I was thinking about this because it's like a wrestling, it's a wrestling thing, isn't it? I was I was thinking when, when they come out, it's like a, 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 just a, a trope. It's a bit like a Grand Theft Auto game. I know it's an odd, odd link, but you know what the storyline's going to be before you start playing, but it doesn't mean you won't play it. But, as they go, I've seen worse, but I just think it's just something that they don't want to make them wrestle, so we just have to come up with something to, to use some time. Besides the beatdown at the end, it was it was uh, short and sweet, but that table did not want to break. No, no, you're right. Um, the, the best part of this is actually Owen Hart in the early doors. Um, he comes out with a bulldog. Diana's shot in the crowd, and Owen Hart, convinces the referee that Ahmed Johnson is too oily so that he has to wipe off. Ahmed, of course, the dirty fucker wipes off on the referee's shirt, which um, Mr. Perfect rightly calls him out for on commentary, being disgusting. Um, Owen Hart then just stops it three or four times, excuse me, um, complaining about this, that, and the other, and the referee's threatened him a few times and finally does boot him out of ringside, which ruins the segment for me because Owen Hart was gold. They start the arm wrestling and you know, the fake uh, struggle, 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 and Ahmed Johnson, the face, of course, has to win. But 
The bulldog nails him immediately afterwards and then starts to pound on him with a chair, sends him into a table in the corner, and Ahmed Johnson bounces the fuck off this table without making a dent in it. <laughs> and then Bulldog thinks, oh, well, we'll do it again, a la Kurt Angle, Shane McMahon, the glass window at King of the Ring, throws him into it again, and boom, bounces straight back off it. <laughs> he then drops Ahmed Johnson on the table and it doesn't break, and he jumps on him on the table and it doesn't break. It's fucking awesome. I just think there's too much oil on, on Ahmed. He just slides off. The t- he hits it and it just, just slides off. I did like the bit where Bulldog's Trump hamper leaning on there, Army Johnson. <gasps> oh my God! What is it? Trump Ampeline! Trump Ampeline! Is it what now? Please don't bring home any more old crutches. <laughs> oh no, you don't! That trampoline is mine! Free trambolene, it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, free trambolene. <laughs> it just will not break. So that ends the segment with the bulldog eventually giving up. I think the table wins over both of them in this segment. Yeah, the winner of this one is definitely the, the table. I mean, you could have pushed that table to at least you know into the hardcore division later on. <laughs> yeah, I think they'll either buy a cheaper one or pre-cut it from now on. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't put the table into one of the early games. I think it was on fucking WWF Attitude because I swear to God, the more I played that game, the less I was ever able to break a single table. So if you ever had that game and you figured it out, well, you can say, tell me now, I'm not going to go back and play it. It was actually one of the, the less interesting wrestling games of the time. Yeah, I, I started with Attitude and then got the one after that because Attitude was one that sort of Brett and Bulldog in it, I think. <laughs> no, that's Warzone, which is the exact same oh, yeah. engine. Yeah. Um, but the next game out on PlayStation after Attitude was SmackDown, and that's when it really took off. Yeah, I, I, uh, it was when I started playing the WCW games, which they got the engine for, for, for No Mercy. I was like, oh, no, no, this is how a wrestling game should be. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we then get a, a little video for next week's matchup. It's going to be Savio Vega up against Goldust for the Intercontinental title. And they sell us on watching this based on the fact that they both lost at WrestleMania. So someone has to win finally. Yeah, two losers fight over something nobody gives a shit about. <laughs> we then get Diesel out wearing a Shawn Michaels t-shirt to join the commentary team before going to a commercial break before the main event. When we come back, it is Shawn Michaels defending his WWF World Heavyweight title that he's freshly won at WrestleMania 12 up against Jerry Lawler. Um, this is where the show sort of goes off a cliff for me a little bit because we've got the typical Jerry Lawler match where it's just bullshit house show stalling and I fucking really tune out. I just really, really struggle to watch Jerry Lawler in this period wrestle because he is boring as hell. Oh, it's ridiculous. Even can't be bothered doing uh like he puts his hands in his shorts but he's got nothing in there all i can assume he's got disco bollocks and it smells that bad that when he punches sean in the face it's the smell of his knackers because he's now in his hand he's got nothing in there and even if you put something in your hands to punch someone it doesn't make your punch stronger it has to be on the knuckles so it's just garbage yeah, you're you're absolutely spot on, and the camera zooms in on his hand to show he's got nothing. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Um, 
minutes go by in the start of this main event with just the odd punch from one of them. It's just nothing happens. I spot the same guy with the crowd uh, in the, with the crowd in the crowd with the sign from earlier has changed his sign now to say bring back the Conquistadors one and two. And I'd probably prefer a Conquistador match to a Jerry Lawler match even in 1996. Oh yeah, there's someone in the crowd wearing a paper bag on their head. I mean, that's how bad this match is. Somebody's gone. I'm going to put this paper bag on my head. Because it's more entertaining than watching Shawn Michaels and Jerry the King Lawler's mullet have what can only be described as a snooze fest. Yeah, it's not good. Um, We finally get some moves after a few minutes. A Shawn Michaels backdrop. Jerry Lawler pretends to have something in his hand, as you talked about earlier, and just hits a punch on Shawn Michaels, who sells it like he did have something, despite the fact that he didn't. It's very slow as we go to our commercial break. We come back and Lawler's in control, and he hits the pile driver. So that was a little bit of a surprise. Um, but then Shawn Michaels comes back with some punches to f- more fake pops that you just can't see the crowd reacting despite hearing it. Um, his patented forearm, his top rope elbow, and a super kick for the one, two, three. So a, a quick little offensive flurry of all Shawn Michaels' high spots, or the five moves of doom, if you will. And he picks up the victory in a really, really shit title defense for a poor main event. If you can't believe that the person in the match has got some kind of chance of winning, it's just completely pointless. I don't know why they keep bringing... Because I've, I've watched a few Matt, uh, Matt, uh, Raws at this time, and they just keep bringing Lawler out, and it's it it's just... It, like I say, it's house show crap. It just... I don't understand it. I don't, I don't know if it was part of the deal he made with Vince. He's far better on commentary. Uh, I just... This match can just, you know, basically fuck off. 100%. After the match, Shawn Michaels calls out Diesel, who comes in. They exchange blows before Mr. Perfect runs and grabs the title belt, which distracts Shawn. Uh, This allows Diesel to hit a big boot. Perfect tosses him the belt and then nails Shawn with it, uh, and they leave laughing with the belt to a good end to an otherwise terrible main event segment. But at least we got some build towards the pay-per-view, and Diesel and Shawn Michaels seems to have some real heat behind it. So ended on a high, despite Jerry Lawler being around the, the main event. What did you think about the ending to the show? I was quite surprised. In my head, Diesel's gone at this point. Uh, sort of like, or certainly not going to be headlining it. Pay-per-view, because it's not that long until he jumps to WCW, I don't think. Uh, Overall, I mean, I like little touches with uh, Perfect getting his watch off Nash. I thought that was quite good. Uh, Otherwise, not not a bad show. It it passed. I I liked uh, a lot of the segments in there. Uh, The arm wrestling, I didn't hate as much as you, because... I don't, I don't know. know. Like, like I said, it's, it's, it's just a thing they do in wrestling. You know what's going to happen. It's just how they get there. Overall, I mean, I'd, I'd take an arm wrestle over the bloody Steiner Triple H pose down that they did. But uh, it's, it's not, not great. Yeah, good, good show. You know, make sure to watch, watch next week. week. I think with with Diesel, this is his last pay-per-view that we're heading into here. Um, I want to say, and please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong on this, but my me- if memory serves me correctly, they had him lose to Taker at WrestleMania. They have him lose to, spoiler alert, Shawn Michaels at the next pay-per-view. If you think he's winning the title before leaving the WCW, you probably this is not the show for you anyway. And they asked him to lose again on the following pay-per-view before his contract ran out, and he said no. 
I'm trying to remember. I, I want to say it was against Ahmed Johnson. They wanted him to lose to. It might have been the Warrior, but it was definitely not one of his buddies at that point. And that's when he went. No, like I've done. An, I've done my jobs on the way out. See you later. And yeah, so his last big match is against Sean at the next pay per view. And uh, another spoiler alert: it's a really good match. So if you've not seen Good Friends, Better Enemies, definitely check that out because. I'm hoping it holds up as well as it does in my mind because I remember it being absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah I've seen, seen that big view. It's a good, it's a good, good one. one. Nash, Nash is, is a fine example of if, if he can be bothered, he's not, not as bad as, bad as he gets labelled, but he's very clever in the fact that he ain't going to go and take bumps he doesn't need to. Uh, and and uh, I, think I think that's, that's where... And, and that, that, let's face it, he will have winding people up. Yes, he does. And that will do it for Raw. Overall, good show. Um, but it is time to go on and watch what probably isn't going to be an overall good show. But we'll bring it to you anyway because we're absolute troopers. CW Hardcore TV from April 9, 1996. The show opens up with an Eliminators promo on the Gangsters, which is actually fairly decent. Um, I got a bit confused because it's got a border around them and it's got written last week on ECW in the border. And I couldn't remember, I couldn't, I couldn't remember, I couldn't figure out if that meant, and this might sound stupid, not maybe I'm dense, this was there last week on ECW or it was a recap of last week. I guess if you'd been watching the show, you'd know. But yeah, it was a recap of what happened last week. And it struck me as odd as well that Saturn is the only one that talks in the promo, so Cronus doesn't actually speak at all. Uh, and they threaten to just kill the gangsters to be done with them, and then they sh- it shows them leaving them laying on the arena floor the week before, and that appeared to be far more interesting than what we watched. Yep, yep, yep I, I would have taken, taken that. that very sound. Absolutely trolled. He, he, he doesn't look good. <laughs> you know, I think you're probably right there. We get the opening video, which is very ECW um, low production value at this point in time. Believe it or not, for people that are going to think I hate on ECW, I actually don't really worry much about their production value, their lighting, their camera work. None of that really bothers me. I do dislike when not having the resources to film an entire arena, people end up splattered everywhere and you can't watch anything that's going on or get behind it. So keep that in mind as we go through this show. <laughs> Uh, we get Joey Styles in the in the ring to start off the show. The crowd's very hot chanting ECW. They're obviously happy to be there. Raven comes out with Kimona and the Harris brothers and a very, very bad actor playing a doctor uh, who comes in and basically tells Joey Styles that Raven can't wrestle. He's had to have emergency surgery on his ankle and foot, and they call him an ankle and foot specialist, which I don't know if that's a thing or not, but sure. Um we see Raven does appear to have like two different boots on. I didn't notice it during his entrance, but he was limping and the, the boots are different. Um, his medical opinion is that Raven shouldn't wrestle. And 
I don't know if they actually tell us what it's meant to be, but it is meant to be a six-man tag involving Raven tonight. But as is quite often the um, style at the time with ECW shows, the opening promo just morphs into a bunch of different things. So the Sandman comes out. He's jumped by the Harris brothers, bringing out Shane Douglas and Tommy Dreamer. Um, They sort of scrap back a little bit. Dreamer puts a figure four on Raven. And then primetime Brian Lee debuts during the segment as well. Shows up to make the save. We get a beat down and then we go to a commercial break before having to come back and let Joey Styles recap it all. Because let's face it, who can keep up with all this in one segment? So opening segment overall, what did you think? Uh, it's, it's a far better start and made me confident to uh, enjoy the rest of the show. So, so actually, looking back, I probably hate it because I would have heard it was crap and then I don't know what was coming next. We then begin what is the entire show-long angle here. Um, it's a shouty promo by the heels backstage. Basically, Brian Lee wants to fight the faces, but no, Raven wants them, but he's not ready to wrestle because he's injured, and it just carries on and on. Um, we go from there to Raven's music playing, not that we can tell because it's edited out on the WWE Network, but Styles eventually tells us. But he's not ready, so we're told we're going to a standby match. So, okay, no problem. It's Joel Hartgood up against the Broad Street Bully, two guys I've never heard of. Uh, It's getting booed before it starts, which tells you how it's going to be. And within two seconds, we cut back to the back for a promo from the heels. So no one really gives a shit about that match. We come back to the match and without seeing a move from either competitor, Axel Rotten comes in with a barbed wire bat, nails them both. The match is over. Hits a dominator on Joel Hartgood onto the bat for a one, two, three. And somehow Axel Rotten wins a match he wasn't involved in, in which we saw no offensive moves, moves from either competitor. So... Thoughts on this match, if there are any? I was just thoroughly confused at what the fuck was going on. I mean, I like to think I can work, work these things out, but from the moment that they come out, I know it's supposed to be crap, but I'm like, why is Axel out? Why is he winning? What's the point of this? Why am I not drunk enough? <laughs> if you've been listening to this show from the start, you'll realise a theme is that I do zero research on the shows themselves because I want to give an honest opinion and not have anyone, you know, no bias in my mind when I watch them. Obviously, some of them I've already seen, so memory plays a part, but I only ever try and read about, you know, the ratings, the buy rates, the, the TV ratings, or where the shows were located. I never, ever read anything that happens or anyone's opinion on them. Watching these old ECW shows, it would come in fucking handy for me to actually tell you what happened because a lot of the time... I recap it as best I can figure out, but no one actually knows what's going on. This is some weird thing in ECW where every now and again, someone else can come in and be part of the match just because. So I guess it's like a um, permanent money in the bank that anyone can pick up and use at any time and doesn't have to be for title matches. It's just it's just ridiculous, to be honest. It's, it's like, like a tornado, tornado tag that never ends. ends. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people that love ECW back here would say how it's more realistic than the WWF and WCW. And yeah, I mean, they don't have the Yeti or Duke the Dumpster Drozzy. But in what legitimate sports contest can someone else just rock up in the middle of it and take over? Like, imagine if, like, I don't know, the Champions League quarterfinal, City and Liverpool are playing and United got knocked out. So they just rock up at halftime and come on the pitch and suddenly they're in the match against one of the other teams. Like, no, that's not realistic at all. It's just absolutely asinine. It's just... 
I don't, I don't know. know. I, I, I think, think that he, he, he's supposed to be exciting, but it happens so often and it just becomes the ECW trope. He gets lazy. Yeah, and just in case anyone was wondering if I was too subtle, yes, I am bringing up the fact that United are not in the Champions League anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and we go from there, we go um, back to another promo where the heels want to take Raven's place, but he doesn't want them to. Six-man tag, and we're almost ready to go. Uh, we go to a segment called Hype Central with someone I've never heard of, and they talk about the fact that cowardly Brian Pillman has his 900 line on the go on ECW, but isn't wrestling on the show, and it's not running on WWF or WCW TV. We then go back to Raven being helped out for his match because he's gallantly decided he is going to wrestle. And this match, the six-man match, the Tommy Dreamer, Sam Man, and Shane Douglas up against the Bruce Brothers and Raven is essentially two-thirds of the runtime of this episode. So I'm expecting a really sort of backwards and forwards, all-out war of a six-man tag. But yeah, what we get is a little bit different to that. Uh, the heels enter... And then Sandman comes out and I weep because the best part of ECW in this time period for me is a Sandman's entrance. And of course, we can't hear it on the network. So that's pretty awful. Not that it would have mattered, I guess, because he doesn't do the full entrance. We have this really weird, we're trying to tell a story, but it doesn't make any sense. So Joey Styles is explaining the story to us on commentary with the faces entrance. It's um, Sandman appears on a balcony. And it's like, yep, he's up on a balcony. He's just stood there. There's lots of time with nothing happening. We then eventually scan the camera around and Tommy Dream is on a balcony. And we don't really know why. And it's a different balcony and they're not together. And then eventually we scan the camera around and Shane Douglas is on a balcony and it's a different balcony. And Joey Styles has to tell us they're the entrances to the ECW arena and they're blocking all the entrances. It's like, well, yeah, but the heels are all in the ring, so... You could actually just go to the ring and fight them, but no. We're going to stand on the balcony and block the entrances, but we can't get anywhere near the faces while we're on the balcony because we're on different fucking stories of the building. So this, whilst trying to be clever, was absolutely stupid. I just... It oh, it did my head in. What do you think? Someone, Someone thought, thought that this would look really, really cool. cool. It, it, it doesn't, doesn't translate, translate at all because, because overall, it's a bit shite. Yeah, it's um, Stevie Richards coming out to nail the Sandman with a chair. Before we get there, though, did you notice... Oh, I can't help but look at Dreamer, because the camera was on them all for an ice age as well. It's like ages with each man. Dreamer looked petrified to be up on that balcony. Yeah, yeah he's, he's not, not happy. happy. Which, Which is, is odd, odd given how much time he spends falling off them. them. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just a stupid start. So Sandman's out now, so by doing this, blocking the entrances they've come, they're now 2v3. Uh, they brawl around the arena, and yes, the arena is a shithole. It just looks awful. You can tell how shit the single curtain being held up on a pole for the entrance arena is. Uh, Raven does his pose in the ring as the faces get beat down around the outside. Blue Meanie's out with the heels as well, so he's helping out. It's a bit of a weapons brawl, just grabbing random shit from the crowd, but none of it really has any meaning because it's just being hit with stuff weekly. It's ugly and sloppy, and eventually they do get into the ring, and Dreamer begins getting beat down. He fights back with a cactus clothesline, um, and there's no sign of Sandman. He's just disappeared off the face of the earth as they brawl along the outside again. Um, and I just my notes here just say, how did this get popular? Like, I liked later ECW, but how did it get to that stage when they were putting on shit like this as, with their big angles? 
I have literally no idea. idea. At, At some, some point, point when Meanie comes out, I was uh, telling the missus that he uh, married, married a porn star. Oh, well, 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 Wind that back a moment for me, because I don't know anything about this world's biggest gangbang, and I think you should inform me a little bit. <laughs> right. right. I think it's 400. I'm not sure. I, the, the numbers are irrelevant. But yeah, this is what I'm talking about. Well, I mean, this is what we're talking about, because this is still... This, this isn't even halfway through, and I'm talking about this. <laughs> what 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 would be worse? Three hundred or thirty guys ten times over. <laughs> I literally, I, I, I mean, the fact that it's like, well, nobody quite knows. It's like I don't really think that, that it's going in the Guinness Book of Records. I don't think that it's going on record breakers. I don't think uh, Roy Castle is going to be right. Then that's the man who can put the most jaffa cakes in his mouth. Now on to the world's biggest gangbang. Oh my god, that's amazing. This is the best thing to come out of this show. <laughs> oh. I'm, I can't Google it. I'll get killed. <laughs> Don't. Just, just leave it. But this is what we're talking... I'm sat there. I believe I have a glass of tasty fizzy wine. Uh, and I'm sat there and I'm like, I've just, just got to watch this. This is the conversation. This is where the conversation went. Coming back to the match, um, Raven elbows Tommy Dreamer through a table, so he gets his little cheap shot off the apron. Um, Sandman, Sandman, sorry, Shane Douglas is dying for a tag on the outside. Um, 
they're taking turns beating down Dreamer. It's a very long beatdown sequence. Lots of false tags and then fake like roll-ups and small packages by Dreamer. Raven hits a DDT onto a chair, so he hits his to a chair, but Douglas makes a save. The Harrises hit their... Um, one of the Harris brothers hits the other one with a big boot by mistake, allowing the hot tag. Dr- Douglas comes in and slams them both, um, hits a low blow, a belly-to-belly for a two-count, um, and one of the Harris boys completely telegraphs a chair shot and ends up hitting his partner again. Uh, Raven well, doesn't come in, botches a low bridge from the apron where he brings the top rope down approximately four inches, and Shane Douglas has to sell like he's been hurt, running the ropes like he would any other time. Uh, they brawl along the outside, and then out comes Brian Lee, who I don't know why he didn't just come out with them to begin with, but sure. And we get Joey Styles with the classic line of the night saying that no undertaking is too great for Tommy Dreamer. So not only are we watching this crappy brawl along the outside, but we're referring to the fact that Brian Lee was the fake undertaker on commentary as well. So yeah, just props all around for being shit and then for also exposing kayfabe on your own show as well. Yeah, well done, Joey. You you let people know it's not going. It's not exactly going to get him over, is he? I played fake taker. Nope. They brawl to the backs and out three v one. Raven and the Harris brothers against uh, Douglas. Raven hits a pile driver, which only gets a two, and then again DDT under the chair, but only gets a two. Douglas kicks out, so Superman effort here, and then the Sandman comes back. Raven throws Douglas into a chair a couple of times, propped up in the corner. And we finally get a tag to the Sandman who comes in and canes all the heels. Dreamer comes back and we get a brawl again and another long brawl with all the all the people in it again. Uh, longevity of the Tommy Dreamer Raven angle, talking about how they went to summer camp together, but Dreamer's knocked up the object of Raven's desire, so that's why they're feuding. Um, it's a long story. Dreamer hits a pile driver and then Joey Styles is going nuts. This is... Dreamer's finally going to pin him. He's never pinned Raven in 15 months feuding, but the save is made by the heels. Sandman comes off the top rope with a leg drop and could get the one, two, three on Raven, but jumps off the pin to save Dreamer having his balls raked into the post by the Harris brothers. Douglas comes in and he hits a move on Raven and he's in the same predicament pinning Raven when Sandman's about to have his balls dragged into the post and Douglas thinks, nah, fuck it, I'll take the pin. So he picks up the one, two, three and the Sandman takes a shot to the balls. So the the heels then come in for a post-match beatdown and they grab Beulah and apparently she's pregnant. So Raven's about to nail her, but Kimona actually steps in front and stops her, eating a backhand from her man Raven for her troubles. And then the faces come back in with chairs and the heels get out of dodge to end the show. So this was a long fucking match. This match was basically this episode of ECW TV and it wasn't any good. So what did you think? Oh, God. (sighs) Well, I think I think the conversations we had, uh, I had with the wife proves how, how, how what I thought of this. It was just walk brawl, a bit of hardcore walk brawl hardcore. Didn't have any kind of chemistry or didn't even have any kind of like uh, storytelling. I wasn't invested in it. Tommy Dreamer gets beaten down. Wow, everyone's beating Tommy, Tommy Dreamer up. It's it's everything that's crap about ECW. You had the Luchas uh, that were there first. There were good matches. They can be good hardcore brawls, but this this is a prime example of crap wrestlers 
doing crap wrestling, just using shortcuts, uh, not doing anything that is innovative. It's like, wow, you've hit him with a chair or you've, you've thrown him through a table. It, it, it loses its impact after you've done it once. And it doesn't escalate. I mean, all right, even if it escalated, and I'm not one for like CZW death matches, but even an escalation violence is you have to do more and more to because as you get more and more desperate. There's not even that. It's just I'm going to pick this up. I'm going to do this. I'm going to walk on. And then then when it ends, basically Raven beats a woman up. I mean, it, it's just. No part of it made me want to watch the week after, which is the the, the big problem. And the only thing I came to get, I, I, I left the show with was thinking, I bet Zubaz are really comfortable to wear in their house. <laughs> Crap. Absolute shite. What? It's going to get another one. It was wank. <laughs> There's the tagline. <laughs> we, the worst part about this, right? So I'm trying to think, why do I hate this so much? And... I'm racking my brain and I'm like, other oh, it's slow, it's boring, there's no moves, the characters are not that interesting in this environment, um, it's got a bunch of people I don't like in it, uh, the production values are shit, but what really does it, I think what it really boils down to here is, because I do like Dreamer, I like Sandman, I like Raven, um, what it boils down to for me is you cannot start a match brawling in and out of the ring for 10-15 minutes and then expect me to believe that Dreamer is legitimately trying to tag Shane Douglas because he can just get in the ring whenever the fuck he wants because there's been no count, no threat of a disqualification. There's no count outs. There's no DQs. Why am I going to believe that the face is in peril while his partner's still on the apron? I mean, they could have had this match with the twists and turns that it had and had it been good. If they'd had them all in the ring and then say, Brian Lee comes out and, you know, one of them goes to brawl with him and they brawl to the back. That's fine. Suddenly they're one down. And then Richards or Meany or anyone could have got the other one out and then one of them could have got a beat down and one of the faces comes back. Like, But it could have all taken place in the ring. And I'm not opposed to a bit of, you know, crowd and floor brawling either. Like, they could have come out, had this big brawl along the outside, then two of them get in the ring and the referee rings the bell and match officially starts. You've still had all the same brawling you've had, but it's not going to take away from my enjoyment of the match because the match then starts and then you know you could have done this so much better but by having no rules you can't then build drama with the rules it just it doesn't work no no it's a good point the rules are there because they're the storyline building blocks if you like if you haven't got them then well, why do I care that you, I'm supposed to care that the heel's using a chair or I'm supposed to care that the face is that mad they've had enough they're going to use a weapon but if you can use them all the time why 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 do i not bring a chair out all the time you know like balls mahoney does why why what it, it's that this suspension of disbelief that this this completely and utterly shits all over it 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 is the worst thing that i think wrestling does where it, it goes yeah we know it's not real and I, I i i hate it when they do it now they talk about wrestlemania moments it's about winning a goddamn match, not not trying to put something. I don't want to feel like I'm watching a storyline. It's about winners and losers. And when that goes out the window, I, I have no investment whatsoever. And it can still be done now. I know people, again, people claim that you can't do it now, and that's bollocks. I mean, I've not, not I've been invested in stuff. 
even now because you still don't know who's going to win. But I hate the nod, the wink, that I'm going to hit you five times with a chair when you should go down after one. It just, for me, you need the rule, some form of rules, even if you're not going to use them all, to be able to then break them. I'm going to give a controversial opinion of mine here, which some people probably won't agree with, but that's okay because everyone's entitled to their own. I actually don't have a problem with, in wrestling, angles that have man-on-woman violence. It doesn't bother me. I think it's, you know, in a, in the real life, in you know, I obviously wouldn't hit my wife, and I think in a real-life context, it's despicable. But I also wouldn't hit my best friend with a sledgehammer and throw his face through a limousine window either. That's despicable, but that's acceptable in wrestling. So it's heel heat for me, you know, and it's not something that... Uh, they're all characters in a storyline for me, and violence is the nature of the show we watch. So it doesn't actually bother me. I know it does a lot of people, and that's fine. It's your opinion, I think. And unless it's... The, the things that bother me in wrestling are real-life storylines um, or, or like real-life issues like racism, things like that. I'm not into I don't like it because I think that really can touch a nerve with your audience. But man beats up man, woman beats up woman, woman beats up man, man beats up woman. It's all part of the show. You're expecting violence when you watch wrestling. That being said, I think it says something about this show that on in a match that had a man attacked on a balcony and nearly fall to his death, has had multiple interference spots, has had someone fighting back for their pregnant girlfriend, has had all these supposed, like, has a man taking shots to the balls with, on ring posts, weapons galore, fights through the crowd, fights up and down stories. It took Raven whacking a woman in the face for the crowd to bite on anything that the heels did in this entire show so that tells you how much they've taken the crowd out of this and that crowd loved what they were watching granted yep the ecw crowd were really into it but they've made it so that there can be no heels like you have to literally start to beat up women you know just about you know grievous bodily harm and murder would be about the only way to get the genuine heel heat now because they've taken all the rules and all the the, the storylines out of the show yeah they've desensitized themselves in this match to such a point that that's what they have to do and uh, i don't know it's uh, and we often say it's a different time i know that point in the 90s you know they're all drinking beer we, we don't have the uh, me too uh, movement in the world but basically that's the only thing they react to uh, is a bunch of pissed up blokes is Raven backhanding someone and it's 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 not for me, I mean I don't mind I, I, your point's a good one uh, and actually I agree, it's a storyline It's I don't, I, I, I fully agree with what you said but the fact that this is the only thing the crowd goes to goes for is it says a lot about what we've just watched. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you just take a quick comparison, like just off the top of my head, say Triple H finally pedigreeing Stephanie after she'd been a thorn in his side during the divorce angle, like the crowd popped huge for it because it's a heel getting their comeuppance on top of, you know, the face they wanted to see win a title. It's not, and you can go the other way around as well with, you know, despicable acts in wrestling, but it, it's something to add drama, add heat, add a pop, not something to wake a crowd up and finally make you a heel. I just think, yeah, it's, this is not good. But the longer we linger on it, the angrier we'll get. So let's head over and do the inevitable breakdown of the scores for this one. Finish him. Flawless victory. Fatality. I don't think it's going to be a tough one. <laughs> so no. Let's jump straight into it. Um, who did you have for production value on this show? Hmm. 
WWF. Yep, and I will be exactly the same. Uh, ECW's production value is awful, and that's just the way it is. Even even if it was better, it would lose because of that fucking zooming in and out camera shot with Lance when he's doing the Hype Central. I've, I've seen a lot of the ECWs around this time. They do it all the time. It's fucking annoying. Who have you got for characters? Because I'm, I'm the same with you on there. There's nothing to add to that. So who have you got for characters on the shows? WWF, far better. I, I, I wasn't interested in anyone. Even in that saying a lot, because it's Raven, Dreamer, Douglas. I, I think that Raven's uh, lackeys are just generic, boring wrestlers. So it's going to be... Uh, WWF, you've got Sean, you've got Diesel, you've got Bulldog, Owen, nah, clean sweep, WWF. And they can leave Brett and The Undertaker off the show and still kick the ass of ECW, so yeah, 100% there. Um, Storylines, I absolutely went WWF on the basis that they had a storyline you could follow. Um, None of them were hard to digest or a struggle to get through ECW focused entirely around one storyline and it had so many offshooting branches and so much shit that you had to sort of you know Joey Styles had to piece it together because it didn't make any fucking sense when it appeared on the screen so definitely WWF for me Uh, I'm assuming you're in the same boat but please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong yeah I like a complicated TV show that you have to like go to Wikipedia so you finally understand it but I I don't want that in wrestling wrestling's beer and a burger it's not it's not complicated. <laughs> um, crowd heat's probably the interesting one here um, because I guess the ECW crowd were into their show. So who do you think... Who got the most out of their crowd? I think ECW, but I, it feels like it's an unfair advantage because you've got like a 1,000, maybe 2,000 hardcore zealots of ECW who, who go every week uh, to watch this drink beer, probably listen to some new metal. So I'm, 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 I think that they did, but I, I would like to point out, I think that is unfair against the WWF, which is traveling around. They never know what crowd they're going to get. They did exactly help with Lawler and Michaels. Uh, there was definitely some sweetening on the, uh, the Warrior Pop. Yeah, it's got to go to ECW on the basis of that's how we rate it normally, but... I just like to point out in the WWF's defense on this one, which I don't know why I need to do, but just because I really hated this ECW show, they got a 4.7 watching at home. So yeah, ECW had a louder crowd in the bingo hall, but it was still fucking shit. Um, match quality is the last one, and ECW essentially had one match, and I didn't like it. So by virtue or by default, even though the main event was shit on Raw, um, Triple H and Jick the Dumpster Drosy was all right, and Vader and Yokozuna was all right. So Raw wins for me. What about you? Definitely, there was no redeeming qualities with that six-man tag. Just there was nothing. Uh, I, I I would take. I would rather watch the Duke again. I, I, I wouldn't be against it. I didn't think he was that bad. They they knew how to keep the match short. I don't, I don't know. I know. It sounds like we're ragging on ECW, and there's obviously reasons why they have a six-man tag on the TV show because they ain't got any money. To, to probably produce everything. So they had to take a match that probably was okay in the arena and then they have to fill TV time up, but it was still crap. I think me and you will have to, to, just in the interest of fairness, we'll have to do an ECW pay-per-view at some point and, and at least see the good matches and, and talk some good about it because 
ECW's not fared well on this show so far. And yeah, you know, I think we both would like to watch some good ECW and give a balanced opinion. Yeah, no, I, uh, I mean, at this time, I, I mean, I started, like, pretty much like your podcast, I started watching Nitro and Raw. And then I started to watch, uh, a little bit later, I thought, hold on, I've missed ECW. I should watch all three uh, three shows. And at a point, not too much uh, in the past of this this, uh, this timeline, uh, ECW was the show I was looking forward to the most because of the wrestlers that they had. And you were seeing them before they went to WCW or WWF. So, I mean, it isn't that I don't enjoy ECW. It was the one I really liked to watch because I thought it was fresh. I don't know if this is possibly a lull for them because they lost so much talent. I mean, they did lose a lot of talent just before this. They've lost Foley, they've lost Jericho, they've lost Austin. Austin's only in there for like a, a cup of tea, but he's still there. Pillman uh, Angle. There's a lot of people that, are, that have gone. They've lost, I mean, probably slightly sooner uh, than that, but a lot of the cruiserweights went as well. So, I mean, probably the roster is quite thin of talented people, but even then, if, if Paul Heyman was famous for booking someone's positives, this wasn't it. Agree completely. So, yes, at some point we will bring you an ECW pay-per-view and we'll give a better comparison here. I'm actually, on, on a side note, um, thinking about doing Thunder versus SmackDown as a running theme now. So get in touch on Twitter and tell us if that's something you'd enjoy listening to. Some of the, the newer episodes, as far as like latest shows, tend to get a lot higher listeners sometimes. So I think that's something that might be of interest to people. So let us know. Um, otherwise, we've got a couple of new episodes coming out with myself and Richie this week. So I'm not sure what order they'll come in, but they are on the way to you. This one and SummerSlam 88 versus In Your House Degeneration X, which is uh, each of our first shows. And then we're going to probably head back to the 80s again soon, Richie. So do you want to tell everybody what you've got in mind for our next stop on the 80s journey we're on? Uh, yes, I think the wrestling classic is up on the WWE Network. So probably wrestling classic... I think, I think it's against, against probably a Starcade, which, which gives me a little, little bit more hope of it being watchable, watchable as, as opposed to if it was the AWA. I believe we're going to be doing Starcade 1985 versus the Wrestling Classic. Sounds good to me. So that's on the way. Um, that will be our next stop coming up on the timeline. Um, obviously, we're heading through 1996 here now. So the next pay-per-view is um, Good Friends, Better Enemies that Carl and I will chop up in the not-too-distant future. And Duncan and I will be back to talk TNA and Raw. We're nearly wrapping up that timeline soon. So lots of different shows coming up in the pipeline. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Richie, again for coming on. And check us out on Twitter. Get in touch and chat to us about the shows. And always leave us a five-star review on iTunes if you can. So for me... Goodbye, Richie. Toodaloo. All right, and we'll talk to you all again soon.